I want to thank everybody who sent in those videos. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see the faces of people that we haven't been able to see for several weeks due to our physical separation, but we remember that we all worship together uh, as the body of Christ, uh, many parts and at this point in time in many places, but still one in Christ our Lord and Savior. Uh, we have another uh, video stream a little bit later to show again uh, with some other expressions of, of, uh, of the cross, if you will, in the midst of Easter. And so uh, be looking forward to that sometime uh, later in our worship service. Actually, Avery, can we do that right after the sermon? Okay, we're going to do that right after the sermon. So just want to let you know that about that. Let's bow our heads uh, in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, on this Easter morning, we ask you to continue to be with us and to lift us up in courage and in strength in the midst of the things that we face each and every day, that you would remind us in the face of the world, in the face of this sinful world where illness and disease and death uh, uh, surround us often and where uh, the fear of the unknown and what tomorrow ho holds can often overwhelm us, that you are there and that you are here in your love and your grace and your mercy and in the, the message of the empty tomb that we have hope even in the midst of despair. Remind us indeed of, of the fact that we are healed by Christ's wounds and that our sins are forgiven and that we have new life, a new life that is in a sense the, uh, the frosting on the cake in this message of salvation on this Easter morning. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so throughout this Lenten season, we have been focusing on the cross, on the, the gift that God gives to us in his only son, whom he sent into this world to die for all of our sins, to suffer in our place, taking upon us all of that chastisement and all of the, that suffering that we ourselves deserve to have because of our disobedience and sinfulness against God. And so we, we are mindful of those words which are, were read to us a little bit earlier this morning. It is by his wounds that we are healed. Now, that's an ironic thing to think about, and, and, it's, and it's a challenging thing to think about. It would be like saying, uh, you know, I stub my toe poorly, and, and then somehow that, uh, that Bob or Jerry or Al or somebody takes upon themselves my pain. Think about that. How do we transfer our pain to somebody else? That, that seems like an impossible thing. And yet when we think about the miracles of God throughout the pages of the gospel and even throughout the pages of scripture, that's exactly what God does. God does extraordinary things, things that we look at as impossible. And yet he's able to do it. And so how can he uh, take upon himself the savior of the world? How can he take upon himself my sins? After all, when he died some 2,000 years ago, I wasn't even born. And neither were you. And yet somehow scripture reminds us that God takes upon uh, us his, his only son. He, he puts upon him all of the sins of the whole world, the sins ever committed since the time of Adam and Eve, the sins that are taking place at the time the nails are being driven through his hands and his feet, and the sins that we do today, the sins of the whole world, past and present and future. And how can he do that? Because he's a God outside of time. 
He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And time puts no constraints upon our God. He can pull the sins from all times and all places, the multitude of sins, and heap them upon his only son, whom he loves, to die in our place. He was wounded for our transgressions, beaten to within an inch of his life by the soldiers, a crown of thorns placed on his head, a purple robe put upon him to mock him as the king of the Jews. And the nails are driven through his hands and his feet. And in that final act of mocking, if you will, a sign nailed above his head that read, the king of the Jews. This is a king unlike any king that the world had ever seen. It's a king unlike the world has never seen other than in Christ himself. See, this is a king that comes upon his throne not in a great pomp and circumstances and a ceremony with lots of adulation and praise. This is not a king who comes to his throne being adorned with jewels and ornaments and robes and cloaks of great wealth. This is a king whose throne is a cross, whose crown is thorns, and who has no robes because he's stripped naked when they crucified him. And yet he is not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the son of God who could, if he so chose, call down legions of angels to fight the battle for him. This is the son of God who, if he chose, could simply step off the cross and be fully healed. This is the son of God who could give in to those temptations if he chose, but who rather drinks the dregs from the cup of bitterness and suffering, a cup that does not pass from him. This is the Son of God who is obedient to his Father's will, who is the Lamb of God, who is sacrificed that the angel of death might pass over our hearts and our lives as we have been painted with the blood of the Lamb in the waters of baptism and made holy and righteous in his sight. It is by the death of Jesus Christ that we have life. This Savior who dies on a cross, who suffers there, who sheds his blood for us, and who is dead, and we know that he was dead because they put a spear into his side, and what flowed out was water and blood already beginning to separate in his dead body. And they take him off of the cross and they laid him in a tomb. And they rolled the stone in front. And the Romans put guards there to make sure that nothing happened. They did that at the request of the Jews. And the stone is there. 
The finality of death often takes place for us at that funeral service when the casket is lowered into the ground and the dirt begins to be shoveled over the top. It's the end. No hope. Death seems to have a hold and it seems to rule and we stand there empty and hurting and sometimes even wondering if only. Those thoughts had to be going through the the minds of the disciples. They had to be going through the minds of the followers of Jesus who were there, the women at the foot of the cross, John, the disciples who had fled in fear, all wondering what next, what now, what only, if only. Maybe if we hadn't gone to the garden, maybe if we'd done things different on that night, maybe if we'd taken Judas aside and talked to him, maybe if only, if only. And yet we know that all of this unfolds in accordance with the will of the Father. Thy will be done. We pray it and we say it, but do we truly believe it? Because often what we're really saying under our breath or in our minds is something like, Thy will be done. As long as it fits what I want for my life and if it fits what I want to do and where I want to go and and who I want to be, uh, thy will be done. But if it doesn't really fit that, Lord, then then maybe you could just like change your will to, to match my will. That's kind of the way we operate sometimes. It's all unfolding by God's will. Because God, you see, knows what's best. God knows that his only son, his son whom he loves, has to suffer and die and has to lay in a tomb in fulfillment of the prophecies laid out for hundreds and, yes, even thousands of years. That God has been working and unfolding this plan of salvation to bring hope into the world for a long time. And he's going to make sure that it happens and that his will unfolds. And as we step back and we see this this resurrection story unfold before us, we see that God is at work. For you see, on the third day, according to the scriptures, according to what was prophesied, Jesus Christ rises from the dead. And we can say it, he is risen See, there are a handful of people by state law and rules still here today. So just so you know, we are complying, but they're here. And you're at home and you can say the same words and you can proclaim them to family. You can be on the phone and proclaim them to friends. You can go on FaceTime and remind people that even in the midst of what we face, God's will is still happening. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. That death in this world cannot hold back the victory of God in his son, Jesus Christ. 
And even though, as Paul writes, we face death all day long, we don't want to become so focused on the world that we lose sight of Christ and the gift of life and the promises of life. That God works his will in our hearts and in our lives. And his will for each and for every one of us is that we spend eternity with him in heaven someday. That the grave, which we shovel full of dirt, has no hold on us. And in the last day, we will receive those new bodies, that promise of the resurrection we'd never want to forget that you see that was some of the challenges on that resurrection morning that that even the women who went to the tomb they went there expecting to see a dead body expecting to anoint a dead body with the spices that they had prepared they're expecting to see their rabbi their teacher laying there crucified dead They have no hope. They're forgetting the words of Christ who had prophesied himself that he would rise on the third day. Even the women didn't understand it, neither did Peter and John when they ran to the tomb. They're dumbfounded. Where's the body? Where's it at? How often we can forget the words of promise that God gives to us that all who believe and are baptized shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. How often we sometimes walk in this world thinking that all things depend upon us and that it all rests on our shoulders when he says to to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Be willing to take your load, your cares, your concerns, and to dump them, literally dump them on Christ. That's what he's there for. And we don't want to do that sometimes. We want to hang on to it all. And yet, he says, dump it on me, because I'm the one who went to the cross, who paid the price for your sins. I'm the one who carries the burdens. I'm the one who's there to bring you healing. I am the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And so come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's where we need to go into this time and this place. When you look around and you talk with people today, it's like everybody is a little more stressed than normal. Everybody's walking around with a little more fear than normal. Everybody is feeling a little bit out of joint, if you will, or, or disjointed maybe is the better word. Everybody's feeling a little bit out of place because things aren't right. I can't run up to a friend right now and give him a hug. I can do this. I got to stay away from people in the grocery store and actually let them have first shot at that steak in the counter that I want. And in some places, apparently, they're so afraid of the virus that they won't even let cars gather in the same parking lot. Trying to figure that one out. We're operating in a different way with a different mindset because we've lost our focus. We're we're like Peter walking on the water and we're doing great as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus. But the minute we start looking at the storms and the circumstances of life in this world, we start to sink. 
Today is a day where we're invited to look at the empty tomb, to remember the promises of God and to see our resurrected Lord, the one who has the nail marks in his hands and the spear in his side. Right now we have a world that's very much acting like a doubting Thomas. But we have a Savior who's saying, look, and touch, and see, and know that the will of the Father has been done. It is finished. Your sins have been paid for. You have been washed clean with the blood of the Lamb, and I am declaring you holy and righteous in his sight, forgiven and loved and full of grace. Have hope. Hope that takes you from here to eternity. A hope that passes all of our understanding along with that peace that comes only from God. Today, even though we are in different places in this world, even though the church might be rather empty, the reality is, is it can remind us of the empty tomb. There weren't that many gathered there that morning, and yet the news of the resurrection was still proclaimed. It was proclaimed to all who would hear, and we're the same way some 2,000 years later. The churches might be empty, but the body of Christ is still alive, and we can still proclaim that Christ is risen, and that he is risen from the dead, and that he is our Lord and our Savior. And so we say it together again, Christ is risen. That's the message. And even in this time, it's a message of hope that we can bring to this world, a reminder that God is still working in our midst. We may not fully understand what's unfolding before us, but we take each day in faith. We walk each day knowing that our God is with us and that he loves us and he watches over us. It is by his wounds that we have been healed, and it is by his grace and his mercy that we live each and every day. No matter what falls before us, our lives are in his loving hands, and we know it because he sent Jesus to suffer and die for us in our place, and he raised him from the dead. That wonderful resurrection, that sign of hope, that sign of love, that sign of our future, for even though we die, yet we will live. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he stands upon the earth. And even if my flesh is destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. That's his promise to us. And we live in that promise every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's take a look and another way of saying the message.